Well, let's get to business here. Uh, in John chapter 14, uh, we have been in this text for a while now. Uh, we've got one more sermon next week in John chapter 14, and then it won't take us as long to get through John chapter 15. But uh, this is an incredibly important text, and, and, and so this is where we find ourselves this morning. We're going to look at the same text actually we looked, like, looked at last week, uh, but extend the reading by just two verses. And so we're going to read uh, John 14, 15 uh, through 26. Uh, and so if you would, if you found your place there in your copy of God's Word, stand for the honor of reading God's Word. Uh, this is uh, Jesus speaking to his disciples in the upper room. John 14, 15 uh, through 26. And here is what the precious and errant, infallible Word of God has to say to us today. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, Jesus says. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Now Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and, he, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Verse 25, these things I've spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. First Baptist Church of Great Gables, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Let's go to the Lord and thank him for his word. Father, as we consider the privilege it is to hear your word this morning, we are humbled and we are thankful. Fathers, we consider the gravity of this text and its context that you have sent us another helper, one just like you. Father, it should be comforting to us. Lord, we thank you for the encouragement that your scriptures give to us. We know that you are a faith builder, a faith encourager. And so, Father, as we consider this this morning, we pray that we would be encouraged by your word. Lord, we pray that sinners would be saved, that the saints would be sanctified, and that you would be glorified in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, obviously, if you've noticed within this text of Scripture, there is some uh, important and vital information we have here on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Now, many of you are familiar with the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, as I think it was probably a, about a year and a half ago, we did uh, a pretty long series on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit here, and yet what we have in the Gospel of John is just another great reminder of who this third person of the Trinity is. And as we prepare this morning to learn about what Jesus has to tell us about the Holy Spirit, I would like for us to keep in mind the context of where we've been 
in John chapter 14. Jesus is in the mode of comforting his disciples before his departure to the cross. That's the overwhelming purpose of why he's doing this. It's to give them comfort as he prepares to leave and then also to prepare them for the ministry that's to come once he leaves. And let's think about this. You remember, beginning of John 14, Jesus says, I'm going away from you and where I'm going, you, you cannot go. And we think about these disciples. They, they've given their lives to be with Jesus. They've left their families. They've left their jobs. They've wrapped everything up in Christ. And so immediately they're troubled and they're worried. And so Jesus gives them some really comforting truths. He, he first off says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And we know that place to be heaven. And we saw the wondrous gift that is, the assurance and comfort that brings for the believer. We also looked on Easter morning about how he declared that he is the way to heaven. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and what comfort that would bring to the life of the believer. But really, the last two weeks, we've seen this really burdensome text for us as a believer. If you remember, in John chapter 14, verse 12, we talked about how Jesus says that you will do the works that I, Jesus, did. And we saw that as meaning the overall purpose of Jesus' His work was to live a life that pointed everyone to the Father. And so we said that normal Christianity, something that a Christian normally does, is to have a life that reflects and points everyone to Jesus. If you don't have a life that points others to the Father, points others to Christ, you have no reason or stance to consider yourself a Christian. That's a heavy text, isn't it? And then last week, if you remember, with John 14, 15, that the evidence to the description of basic, normal Christianity is, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. How the description of a Christian is one who obeys the Father. And immediately, we also felt there's a burden there for us. This is why this text this morning is so important because left to our own devices, after the last two weeks, we would be certainly in despair and without hope this morning. But praise God that Christ sends us a helper, another helper. That's what he gives us. And so let's think about this. With that in mind, Jesus has just told them that obedience to his commandments is the direct evidence of love for him. He says in verse 16 that he's going to pray to the Father so that he will send the Holy Spirit to them. No doubt the connection between these things, again, it comes down to the fact that it is only by the power of the Holy Spirit in the Christians' lives that we will be able to love Jesus and to keep his commandments. That's the link. That's the connection. He is going to send the Holy Spirit in order to cause these things to come to fruition in their life. So let's look at some of the certain aspects that we can find comfort in when receiving the Holy Spirit. Number one, we see four of these in this text. Number one, be comforted. The Holy Spirit is your paraclete. Be comforted. The Holy Spirit is your paraclete. Now, what in the world is a paraclete? Is that like a parasite? Is it some kind of disease that we have? No, no, it's not. I know that word seems weird. That's the word we have in the Greek for what's translated as another helper. That's the word there. In fact, 
Let's look at how this is translated in verses 15 through 17. It's a difficult word, but it's an important word. So write it down and you've learned a little bit of Greek this morning. Verse 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because it abides with you and will be in you. See, I love this. Jesus knows his people very well. He, he knows his disciples even back then, he knows them well, and he even knows us well today who are his disciples. He knows all of us, and he knows what we need. He knows that we would be in great need of help to deal with all that Jesus just laid before them. So that's why Jesus says he's going to send them, uh, he's going to pray to the Father, and the Father's going to answer his prayer by sending them another helper, what John calls here the paraclete in the Greek. Now, our, our New American Standard Version translates this as helper and it, with a capital H. Maybe you have another translation this morning. And it translates that word as, as comforter or, or counselor or advocate. The only other time it's used is in the, uh, the epistle of 1 John chapter 2 where it's translated advocate and that fits that context. But the truth is it's really, really hard to nail this down to one particular English word. Because what this word really encapsulates is it's trying to make sense all that the Holy Spirit does for us as his people. So you might see in margins in your Bibles uh, uh, all of the, those three titles for the Holy Spirit. And there's a, a good reason for that. Because the Holy Spirit does more than, than just counsel us. He does more than, than just comfort us. And even he does more than just helps us. These are all true uh, aspects of his ministry that he, he does to his people. But those words really don't completely entail or convey what's being told to us here in the Gospel of John about the Holy Spirit. So after spending quite a bit of time reading a lot of men who are much smarter than I, which doesn't take much, it, it appears that we've got the closest to the right gist of this word if we understand it to include some aspect of strengthening. So yes, helper is probably the closest we can get to this word, but it's more than that. It's a strengthening helper. It's strengthening together with the idea of assisting or helping those who are in need. So in that light, helper's close to it, but once again, it's more than, than just that. His help comes in the form of strengthening us. Strengthening us uh, personally, uh, inwardly, to deal and face all that's laid before us in God's providence. Whether that's dealing with, with difficulties in our lives, with trials that come, whether it's dealing with trying to understand what the scriptures have to tell us, whatever the case may be, it's the work of the Spirit, the work of sanctification, strengthening us more and more to die to sin and live unto Christ. That is the idea behind the Holy Spirit's ministry that's given in this word. And I think that's what John's really trying to convey to us here in our text. We have a helper, not just someone who's coming alongside us and, and being our cheerleader and encouraging us, but a helper who is in us daily strengthening us to walk and be able to walk as the people of God. Now, now something that's it's really quite interesting here is that word another that's before the, the paraclete. It's referred to here as another helper. Why? 
That word another has a little bit more to it as well. It's to be understood as, as one of the same kind. It's not an altogether different helper, but another of the same kind. So why does Jesus refer to the Spirit as another helper? Because Jesus, he is the first helper, isn't he? He's already present there with his disciples. He's telling them, I'm about to leave you, but there's going to be another helper that's going to come just like me, just like I have helped you, who's going to strengthen you and encourage you. He's going to work in you and through you to do all these things, all these greater works that he promised would be done by his people. See, when, when Jesus leaves to go to heaven, he's, he's going to continue to be their helper. He is their first helper, and he's going to continue that work, but his work will be continued from heaven. The Holy Spirit is sent to God's people on earth to be a strength for us here. So we actually have a double blessing here is what Christ has given us. We have plenty of help. In fact, we have all the help we could ever need between the Lord Jesus Christ helping us at the right hand of God the Father and the Holy Spirit living in us, strengthening us to do the work he has for us to do. Friends, you are not without help to live out your Christian life. And and I say that because so often in our lives, we feel alone, don't we? Even in the church, when there's, when there's sin that's, that we're wrestling with on a day-by-day basis and we're not bringing it before the Lord in, in repentance, we immediately feel isolated, alone, like we're the only one who's walking through it. No one else has ever experienced any of the sin that I've experienced, I guarantee you. And yet what we have in the Spirit of God is a help. We don't view Him as a help, do we? See, it just reveals and reflects our lack of understanding of the graciousness, the love, the mercy of God. That he is actually an encourager of our faith. We see the Holy Spirit as as that inward Jiminy Cricket almost that just reminds us when we're doing bad things. It reminds us we should be doing good things. Friends, that is not at all what's encapsulated with the Holy Spirit. He is actually the one who's working in you, strengthening you, causing you to obey. So let me tell you something. That trial and that tribulation that you had to walk through and you're still trusting and resting in Christ today, friends, it's because of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Praise God. Friend, that sin that you've been dealing with for some time and, and you, you feel like you've figured out some way to overcome it, you feel like God's given you victory in that, His agent of that is the Holy Spirit. It is essential to the Christian life that we understand the gloriousness that's given to us in this gift from God our Father that we have help. Because friends, we need help, don't we? Can you sit here and say that on your own you can, you can live a life that completely points others to God the Father always? That on your own without help you can show your evidence and fruit of knowing Christ by being obedient to Him? There's no way. We are in desperate need of help. And friends, our faith encouraging Christ is faithful to give us all the help we need in his spirit. So be comforted with that. So the Holy Spirit is a help in the same way that Christ was help. In fact, we even see their ministries kind of reflect one another in a couple ways. And one of the ways we see the continuity 
Uh, between uh, the Holy Spirit and his ministry and Christ in his ministry is to compare some of the titles that are attributed to each of them. And so let's look at, at two, and this is our second point of comfort this morning. Be comforted. The Holy Spirit is your teacher of truth. The Holy Spirit is your teacher of truth. First, we know that Jesus has been their teacher, right? They've even referred to him as rabbi. In fact, in light of that, we can look at our text in, in verse 26, where it says this, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So think about this. After Jesus leaves to go to heaven, the Holy Spirit will be with them and he will continue to teach them all things. There is a lot still for them to learn as we've been examining in the book of Acts on Wednesday nights. Jesus says, I'm going to make sure that you guys get it. Likewise, earlier in this chapter, Jesus referred to himself as the truth in John 14, 6. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Here in our passage, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. So after Jesus departs from them, they will continue to, to be led to know and understand the truth by the ministry of the Holy Spirit here on earth among his people. And there, there are really two aspects of the Holy Spirit's ministry of truth that we can apply uh, today. This idea of him teaching us, being our teacher and teaching us truth, there's two aspects of the Holy Spirit that we can apply from this passage. One is an application strictly to the apostles. It's inspiration from the apostles. And then secondly, we see illumination for the believer. So we've got inspiration for the apostles and illumination for the believer. No doubt this is a special application, first off, to the apostles of that day. We've got to recognize that. There are some aspects of this that relate directly to them, the apostles, and don't have any application really for us. But there are many facets that have application for us. But this is one that has just application for the apostles. It's the ones uh, whom the Holy Spirit would bring to the remembrance of all that Jesus had said and done. We had just had a conversation about this before the service with Miss Anne about the continuity between the Gospels. All those things that would be included in the Holy Spirit's writings in the New Testament, the apostles alone are the ones who are given the ministry of inspiration. This is, by the way, the basis of why we believe the New Testament is the Word of God. And think about this. Have you ever wondered how these men were able to remember all of the many details of God's Word and all the intricacies of the conversation that Jesus had with the various amounts of people that he spoke with? I can't remember most of the things that people have said to me yesterday, right? And yet somehow, I can't remember what, what, what somebody else said, but it's amazing that we have these intricate details that have been given to us in the New Testament in the way they've been given to us. The only way to explain this, friends, is the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's His ministry. There is no way a human being can remember these things and convey them. Then you compare scriptures to other scriptures and gospel accounts to gospel accounts in the New Testament. And it's amazing the way these things line up. You couldn't take four different people even today and tell them to write about something they saw yesterday and have the kind of agreement that we have in the gospels. It's remarkable. It's a testimony, by the way, of the work of the Holy Spirit. Again, this is unique to the apostles. 
to those who have been set apart to write the words of God. And even though that, that there, there, so there are two aspects of this ministry of truth, excuse me. First, in that he's provided an objective truth for us to appeal to his holy word. And then secondly, there has been an application for us that he goes on teaching us his word. He goes on teaching and illuminating our eyes today. Friends, listen to me. If we didn't have the Holy Spirit to open our eyes that we might understand and comprehend the message of the word we would never be able to understand God's Word. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. He enlightens our eyes, as the psalmist says. Not only has He inspired people to write His Holy Word, but He's also come into believers today, to every believer, to illuminate our hearts and minds that we might be able to understand it. There's an important point to remember in all of this. In fact, one pastor said it like this. He says, the importance of this lies in the fact that although the Holy Spirit continues to be the spirit of truth for all generations and the one who leads all true believers in the truth, he does not do so without reference to the once for all revelation of truth in the completed Bible. What he provided for the disciples by means of revelation, he continues to provide to the church by the means of illumination. Shedding light on the meaning of scripture and showing how it is to be applied into our lives. Friends, by this we learn that in order for anybody to properly understand the truth of God's word, they need to be taught by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In fact, let's think about this. What does the Bible say about the natural man? The natural man, we're told, rejects the truth of God's word because he thinks it's foolish. And the reason he thinks that it's foolish, according to 1 Corinthians 2, comes down to the fact that he doesn't have the benefit of the ministry of the Holy Spirit like we do. Notice the way John puts it in our passage before us. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, he says, Whom the world cannot receive. They are unable to receive him. Why? Because it does not see him or know him. The people of this world cannot receive the ministry of the Holy Spirit because they neither see him or know him. In their minds, this is craziness. Which, by the way, church, is why it's of the utmost importance that we be of people of prayer. Their only hope is... For God to enlighten their eyes to the word. That he would send their, his spirit to them so that they might know and see and taste and see that the Lord is good. We might be people who pray that God would enlighten the hearts and minds of unbelievers in the world. Instead of complaining and griping about all the sin we see in the world, may we be a people of prayer. We are not going to be able to persuade the world through complex arguments of various forms of philosophies. The only thing that will cause them to believe is if the Spirit of God opens their eyes. So let's be in prayer to that end. In fact, I would encourage you especially to be in prayer about the people that you come in contact on a day-to-day basis. God has providentially placed people in your life who are not believers, whether they be co-workers or family members, neighbors. Pray for them specifically that the Lord might remove the scales from their eyes as he did with the Apostle Paul so that they might see the truth. What a comfort it is to know that the Spirit of God is our teacher in all truth. Number three, let's look at this. Be comforted. The Holy Spirit will not abandon you. Verse 18. 
The Holy Spirit will not abandon you. It's important for us to understand that we see here that the disciples already knew the Spirit. I think it's worth noting here because it's very intriguing. Listen to what he says after making the point of the world not knowing the spirit of the truth. Back up to verse 17. Look what he says at the end. He says, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Now, we did an entire sermon on the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. But I understand that some people have a difficult time understanding that the fact of the Old Testament saints already had the spirit dwelling in them. Some think that the first time the Holy Spirit ever came into the lives of God's people was at Pentecost. This can't be. It's impossible for that to be the case because we find the mention of the Holy Spirit all over the Old Testament and even in the lives of God's people. Not just in the works that he's doing in creation, but also the works he is doing in and through his saints, his people. For instance, as Brother Danny read for us from the book of Psalm 51, where David cries out to God to not take his Holy Spirit away from him. And not only that, but if you have a proper understanding of how people are ever saved, you must conclude that the Holy Spirit has been at work in the world since the beginning, since the time of the fall, because it is only by his renewing and life-giving resurrection that anybody ever is able to be saved. So given that's the reality, we might wonder what's exactly meant by John in our passage in John 14. What's being predicted here? What is it that is going to happen that's going to be in any way different than the way things have already been? Well, remember, the reason that Jesus is saying this to them is to provide them with comfort, to offer them comfort. Remember, again, the context. Jesus is giving them words of comfort. He is going away and leaving them behind, but he comforts them by assuring them that he was not going to leave them behind as orphans. As children without somebody to care for them. That's what it says in verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And think about where the apostles' minds, disciples' minds were in this moment. They had given everything in their lives to follow Jesus. Given up their jobs. Given up the necessity of their families every day to follow Christ. They put everything in this basket. And now he's leaving The fear there is they'd be considered as orphans, which in that day, along with widows, were the outcast of the outcast in that society. See, we always think of orphans as often having happy endings, don't we? We think of little orphan Annie or or Oliver Twist, but this wasn't the case most often in society. They were looked down upon as having no worth whatsoever. And Jesus' promise to his disciples and his promise to you is, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not abandon you. Even though I may be going through the Spirit of God and through His ministry, I will comfort you by reminding you that you are my children. You are my heirs. That I love you. This is a tremendous gift. What a wonderful understanding. The Lord says, I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to leave you behind as orphans. He assures that the Holy Spirit would be with them uh, through His ministry and His work. It's in that area, by the way, where Jesus reveals that he's God. Let me, show, let me tell you why. Because listen, Jesus is going away, and yet at the same time he says, I'm going to be with you. I am going to be with you. Okay, that doesn't even make logical sense. Wait a minute, Lord. How can you go away and yet still be with me? 
Do you remember the time when Moses was about to die and he spoke in Deuteronomy 31? And he basically says, I'm going away. I'm going to die, but don't worry. And you remember what words of comfort he gives to them? He says, God will be with you and he will never forsake you. Do you see the contrast in the ministry of Moses with the ministry of Christ? Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's about to leave them. But he didn't tell them, don't worry, God will be with you. What does he say? He says, I will be with you. See, Moses couldn't say that. Moses couldn't be at any place more than uh, one place at one time. But Jesus is going away. Not only am I sending you another helper, but secondly, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. It's another way of Jesus affirming that he is God. And friends, if God is for you, then no one can be against you. Do you understand that? That if you are a believer tied in faith to Christ by the Spirit of God, that the Spirit is residing, dwelling in you. That God is always with you. What a comfort that is to a Christian. Even if you are struggling and wrestling with sin, let me tell you why. Because if you're struggling and wrestling with sin, struggling's a good thing. Wrestle with it is a good thing. If sin is reigning over your hearts and you've got no desire but to do anything but sin, then you should be worried. You should be comforted that you struggle and wrestle with sin because it's the Spirit of God convicting your heart. He loves you too much as His children to let you alone to go and be with your sin. If a true child of God is a true child of God, the Spirit of God will always convict that one and bring them back into restoration the fellowship with Him. That is true love, isn't it? I think about it with my, my kids, right? There is nothing that could ever stop me from loving my children. And yet, I'm just a man. And there may be times I pray against it. There may be times in their lives where I've got to love them in spite of themselves. Where I love them and they don't reciprocate or have that fellowship with me that they once had. That may be a difficult moment in my life. But friends, by, by God's help, I pray that I would never give up on loving them. That as far as I'm concerned, the willingness to forgive, the willingness to restore and receive that relationship back will always be there. I will not give up on them. Friends, that's how God works with you. What a gift that is when you understand your own sinfulness, right? That you are, you are not, you're not a good orphan. You're not the, the orphan that looks like you could be adoptable. You're that kid from Problem Child, right? The little redhead kid. That's who you are in the story. And yet God has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die in your stead, to pay your substitution and be your substitution, to pay your penalty for sin so that all of His wrath comes on Christ and His righteousness comes on you. Friends, when you understand that, and then you understand that He will never leave you or forsake you, you ought to have a smile on a face and praise in your heart day by day because it's good news. Friends, it's help for the believer. Praise God that he will never abandon his children. Fourthly, the last aspect, when we consider the word of God, the spirit of God, his ministry, is be comforted through the ministry of the spirit. We're united to Christ. This is exploring the depths of that relationship. There's a union between the father and the son where Jesus says, I'm in the father and the father is in me. 
The union to the Father is complemented by the Son's union with us. Now, we've touched on this before. In fact, John touches on this in several places. But I want to dwell a little bit more with this. John 14, 19 through 20, look at what Jesus says in our text. After a little while, while the word world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Look at that union there. Now, uh, Jesus is assuring his disciples that on that day, which I believe is speaking about his resurrection, we will know, we will have a validation of knowing that he is in the Father, and we are in him, and that he is in us. That's an important truth that Jesus wants to convey about his ministry of the Holy Spirit. But as profound as that is to know that we've got a union with God, I don't want to spend too much time on this because I think we've hit on this before. It's equally profound to learn that because of that union we have with Christ, that Christ has with the Father through the Spirit of God, that we church family have union with one another. Our mutual union to God means that we are mutually united to one another. And this is important. Just think about this. Think about the application of that. So so given that it's the case that to ask ourselves, how are we to treat one another? If Christ is in you, how ought I to treat you in that reality? If I understand that you are united to Christ by faith and that Christ is in you, what should it say about how I treat you? Shouldn't I love you? (laughs) If I love Jesus, I should. Shouldn't I serve you? If I serve Jesus, I should. Shouldn't I be uh, sure to consider your needs above my own? Did Christ not do that for us? That's what Jesus did. And if he's in you, it ought to be evident in the way you live and operate within the church. So friends, think about your neighbors here. Think about the fellow believers here. If they're united to Christ, if Christ is dwelling and reigning in their hearts by faith, how ought we to treat one another? Now I want to conclude with this, because when it comes to knowing the Holy Spirit, let me just say, it's it's not simply enough just to know about the Spirit in some generic or general way. Those who've been truly saved will know the Spirit intimately. To know the Spirit in the sense of that term in which a husband knows his wife. We're we're told that when Adam knew his wife, it was more even than just a physical relationship they had. It was intimate. They knew each other. Friends, if we belong to God, we, we know Him intimately. We have a relationship with the true and living God. See, this is ultimately the thing that sets us apart from the world around us. This is it. We're not set apart by the mere idea that we come to church each Lord's Day. We're not even set apart by merely knowing about the gospel. Knowing the facts of the gospel. Just knowing something, knowing that it is something, it doesn't set you apart either. There are plenty of unbelievers that can tell you facts about the gospel. Nor is church membership or taking the sacraments a a sure sign of being set apart in the world. There are are tares among the wheat within the church. There are goats among the sheep. There are people who have have done a a good job of fooling elders. They fool their friends. They fool their family members into causing them to believe that they're truly a believer. So if all those things doesn't set us apart as the people of God, what is it that does set us apart as the people of God? Friends, it's the subject of what we're examining this morning. 
It's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The question is, do you have His Spirit? That's what sets you apart from the world. It's by His Spirit that we are born again. It's by the Spirit we're given a new life where we, we switch from serving ourselves in the old life. The Spirit comes, regenerates us, and we now serve Christ by faith. We're told in Romans 8 that it's the Holy Spirit Himself who bears witness with our spirit, telling us, confirming us that we are children of God. That is what sets you apart. I want to conclude this with, just, with two short comments from, from different commentators. I want to ask you some questions. William Hendrickson says this. He says, this, this presence of the Holy Spirit, speaking this text, this presence is very real. Its operation can be felt. The Spirit will convict of sin, lead to daily repentance, impart assurance of salvation, bestow the peace of God that passes all understanding, admonish comfort, all of this in connection with the Word. It is in that way that Christ has promised to manifest Him to His disciples, but not to the world. Then, of course, J.C. Ryle has a wonderful, quaint way of putting things like this. I love this, this quote. He says this. He says, Let us never rest until we feel and know that He dwells in us. If any man has not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his, says the Apostle Paul, Romans 8. So if that's the question, friends, the final, final application is simple. Do you know him? Have you been united by Christ, to Christ, by the ministry of the Holy Spirit? Have you been regenerated, renewed, born again? Do you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? I think Jesus has, has clearly given us evidence to see whether or not the Spirit is dwelling in you. Because if it is, then friends, the, the things we've talked about the last two sermons will be reflected in your life. You have all the help you need to live a life for Christ. But the question you have to ask before any else is, do you have the Spirit of God? Have you placed your faith and trust completely and totally in the sacrifice of Christ? You repented of your sins? Removed yourself as what you thought of being the king of your own life and placed Jesus on his rightful throne that he's Lord reigning over your life? If so, you've been given his spirit. You cannot be saved without having the Holy Spirit indwelling in you. Do you know him? I pray that you do. Let's stand as we pray together. Fathers, we consider, Lord, the wonderful gift of your spirit. Father, we're just uh, delighted. Lord, it just brings joy for the Christian to know that you've given us another helper, one just like you. Lord, one who is our helper, a helper, our comforter, our counselor, one who teaches us all truth, one who will not abandon nor forsaken us. Father, one who unites us to Christ by faith. Lord, what a, what a gift your Holy Spirit is. May we live a life that's reflecting of the joy that comes with that. And Father, if there be someone here who has, has no evidence in their life that they've been regenerated or born again, they are very clearly, even in their own minds right now, still serving self. 
Lord, they believe that what they say is the most important thing in the world. And Lord, they're following their own hearts, their own way, their own path to destruction. And Father, I pray that if there be anyone here this morning, they would see the love and grace that's found in the gospel of Christ. That though they were sinners, Christ died. Father, they would repent. That you would give them the Spirit of God to regenerate and renew their lives. And they would come to you by faith, rejoicing. Rejoicing in the mercy and grace of a wonderful, wonderful Savior. We pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen.